What's going on, friends and family? Thank you so much for joining. Every day is a Saturday. I'm your host, Brian Roof. Hey, guys, we got another great day, another great episode, a great interview in front of us. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of Every Day is a Saturday. Um, well, let's see. A lot that's going on, actually. If you guys haven't had the opportunity to go check out Wacky Wednesdays, go check out Wacky Wednesdays. I do a Wacky Wednesday live show every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go check that out. It's a lot of fun. I kind of do uh, like a little bit of a highlight with uh, nonprofits, and then we go into hypotheticals and have a little bit of some fun with some hypothetical questions like what would you do in these type of situations? And we, you know, you're allowed to join in and be a part of the show. So, hey, come check us out, Wacky Wednesdays. Uh, usually I go live on YouTube or Facebook. So if you haven't had the chance to go join uh, the Facebook group, make sure you go join Every Day is a Saturday USMC Veteran on the Facebook side, and uh, you'll be able to catch the lives. Also, you can check me out on YouTube over there as well. But without further ado, let's go ahead and introduce our next guest. My next guest served her country proud in the United States Air Force, and she has a podcast show called Yes, I Am the Veteran Podcast. Let's meet our next guest, Brandy Pett. Hey, guys. You How are you doing? On? Hey, welcome to um, the show. I'm glad to have you on. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, I'm here, there, and everywhere, and I definitely am thankful to be on today. I appreciate you taking the time. I know, you know, life is always a busy, especially when you got kids. You never know uh, what you're going to get that day. <laughs> yes. But uh, let's go ahead and get to know Brandy Pet, also known as Bedlam Betty. Uh, let's get to know a little bit about you. Tell us about why you joined the Air Force. You know, tell us a little about your experience in the Air Force and, you know, what you got going on with your podcast. So I'm a woman of many hats, I'm sure you've seen. Um, so I am the podcast host of the SIM the Veteran podcast. We created that name because of an experience I had. Someone tried pulling me out of my car because I parked in a handicapped space with my DV plates, um, which, you know, I, I had a triple limb salvage. So for me, um, it's a challenge sometimes, but I try to hide uh, my limitations. And I had a lady almost pull me out of my car window and tell me that, you know, my husband wasn't there and that I wasn't disabled and I needed to move. And so I said, well, yes, I am the veteran. And I pulled up my pant leg and I scared her, rightfully so. Um, but um, that's where the name came from is because it happens to a lot of women where we're uh, discounted for our service that we couldn't possibly have served, um, but we did. Um, for me, um, I was, uh, so I was in the Air Force. I was an Air Force medic. My dad was an Army Sergeant First Class and, um, he always uh, taught us when we were young that the most honorable thing that we could do would be to serve our country. And so for all of us, like, you know, it was very much ingrained into us from a very young age. And I mean, I was living in Germany when the Berlin Wall fell. I mean, so all I knew was military. I didn't know anything about the Air Force. That was fun. <laughs> and he was a drill sergeant too, which made it like so much worse when I was a medic. <laughs> Some things you learn to pick up, you should but um, at the end of the day, you know, that's why I joined was because of the fact that um, it's unfit blood. Um, my grandfather was Coast Guard. My dad was Army and now I'm Air Force, I guess, different branches. I don't know. What year would, uh, did you join? I joined in 2003. 2003. Okay. Yeah. So you're definitely, uh, you knew what uh, 
chance of war was going on and everything, huh? I mean, was it uh, prior to the invasion of Iraq or was it uh, after it Iraq? Was, it was it, just when they were starting the initial yeah. um, actual like um, assaults and like they were like actually just starting to get in country. Um, but yeah, I mean, after September 11th, I was a junior in high school. I remember seeing that. And I remember at first the radio station, the rock station I was listening to, thought it was a joke. They thought it was, this couldn't possibly be true. And I'm Northern Wisconsin, you know? So like it didn't really transfer well that my dad was military. So I got a lot of crap from a lot of the kids because of the fact they lived in Germany and all these other places, you know, and that's not normal for them. So it, it definitely was um, interesting. But I literally, I went in basic training a week after I graduated high school. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, tell us a little bit more, like, where did you get stationed? What was your, you know, MOS? And So my MOS is a 4071, uh, which is a medic, aerospace medical technician. Um, but I was also an EMT, EMT instructor, CPR instructor, CPR instructor trainer, um, C-Bernie instructor. I also taught selfie buddy care. I mean, I, you name it, I could teach it. Um, I was also an immunology technician. So those people that stuck you with the anthrax, that was me. Like not many women can say they legally gave their ex-husband anthrax five times. <laughs> and told him to stop taking it like a baby. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, exactly, but something similar. <laughs> I got a couple myself. One or eight. <laughs> but yeah. But for me, I, I love being a medic. I mean, I love the fact that I could save people. Um, I worked with physicians that were phenomenal. Um, some were amazing, some were terrible. But um, the phenomenal ones, I mean, like some of them really did treat like the last true case of smallpox. Um, I mean, some of these people, like they should be in books and they're not, um, unfortunately. But that's just the type of people they are. They're just, you know, very humble. They don't like the recognition, the fame. Um, for me, I just wanted to, to help my brothers and sisters with the knowledge that I had. A lot of people say those who can't do teach. No, 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 no. Um, those who do very well and better than most people teach because we want those people to come to our house and treat our family as good as we would do it. That's why we teach. Just saying. <laughs> right. But um, so did, yeah. you, uh, did you ever have to deploy or anything like that? Why you were? I mean, after because I mean, in two thousand three, things were really hot, you know, hot and heavy. Yep. Um, so I'd never deployed. Um, I was not allowed to. Um, my doctor and I, the, um, he was in, considered like one of the best assets in the hospital because like the, just like the notes he would put in, like the RVUs, the doctor credits, he would literally out gun whole clinics by himself. And that would just be him seeing patients. That's just how he was. And for me, I could teach everything. So they said, you guys are both assets. We can't have you leave you at the same time. We have to split you guys up. And I threw arterial blood clots um, shortly after that, and I almost died. So I was not deployed, but I was airbacked. I was airbacked from uh, Romstein Air Force Base in 2008. Um, not fun, wow. by the way. <laughs> not fun. <laughs> uh, I feel like the the biggest uh, piece of crap like that ever got on that C-130 because I felt like I didn't deserve to be there with my brothers and sisters that were injured downrange, and um, fortunately, that's where the divide started. Um, my first duty station at was at Cannon Air Force Base. They actually affectionately call it Afghanistan because it's in the middle of nowhere. 
And it's, this is for military times, guys. So this isn't easy. No, yeah. <laughs> One of the worst days in the Air Force. That's right. Yeah, of the yeah, our military yeah. humor is just yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Cannon, um, we had some wild adventures in the ambulance. We actually watched the ambulance drive through a base house. That happened. No one was driving it, by the way, supposedly. Oh. Yeah, exactly. You see your face? That was my face when I was a six leave. <laughs> Getting out of bed, winking. I was like, I wasn't even there. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty sure it was like some dependent kids because like, like the ambulance was malfunctioning. So they had to park it. It was before the era of cell phones became popular. So you'd have to go and like you had your brick and the signal was terrible in the middle of nowhere. So you'd have to go in and call like once you got to your clinic and say, hey, I need you to come get the ambulance trans for the 800th time to come jump my ambulance. Yeah, they actually had to jumpstart ambulance more than once. And so literally, um, they said, yeah, just leave it running. And so my friend did, who was um, my partner that was there that night. And I wasn't there, but she had someone else with her that night. And literally, when they walked back outside, the ambulance was actually literally in someone's living room. Like, it literally went across the street, made a right-hand turn, drove through the carport, and into the living room. By itself. One hell of a ghost. <laughs> One hell of a ghost was like, fuck this ambulance. <laughs> there was you was it a joke that the second floor was super haunted. Like, that's good. That. <laughs> Man, was- after that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I mean, yeah, if it was definitely a ghost driving itself, I mean, there's no way. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I wanted to, you know, go overseas. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sorry. That was, that's you're fine. Too- <laughs> <laughs> But no, so um, after Canon, um, I went to, that's when I went to RAF Lakenheath, which is in England. And that's where I was stationed. And that's where I was injured um, because I wasn't, I was an E5. I just like literally tested for E5 when everything happened. And so literally I basically for, so let me explain this whole situation. So I had a supervisor who um, was offered medications uh, for mental health reasons. And I'm not saying to be mean or nasty, it was a true statement. And um, she was getting a divorce and she was scaring the airmen because she was talking to people that were there. She was um, threatening people, grabbing them. Like just, she just wasn't right. And so like, I was that person that I would say what everyone was thinking. And so, and I was respectful of her, but I just take her shit um, because she and I were about the same rank and we shouldn't have been under the same command like that. She shouldn't have been my supervisor, but you know. And so um, she basically wanted to make an example of me. And um, I was the one that was killing myself to like be like airman, have it all together. You know, I wanted to have my degree before I even went to airman leadership school. Like, I, you know, I wanted a commission. Like, you know, I had my goals. And um, she tried to assault me in a staff meeting. They actually, she actually jumped the table and she had to be restrained by my NCYC and my superintendent. One on each leg, might I add. And so they had to pull her across, back, back across. And she was fighting. And so she was threatening to burn my house down, a bunch of other stuff like that. Well, because of the stress, and my spouse was supposed to deploy at the same time. It was a lot. And so I could feel it in my heart, literally. Like, I felt like my heart wasn't beating right. And I was like, that's weird. Like, I'm super healthy. I've never had surgery. And nothing's ever been wrong with me. Like, like I, I've been sick. I've had maybe migraines. Like, that, that's the worst thing that ever happened at that point. Well, um, I said, um, like, my legs started turning purple. Well, she forced me to run a PT test. So I failed the PT test because I couldn't actually like walk barely, much less run. 
So she would actually make me do force PT every single day to make sure those clots were worked in nice and deep. And these are arterial clots, might I add. So like out of 100 people that have blood clots, maybe 10 will have arterial and maybe one of the 10 will live, might I add. And I was 23. I was a kid. And so um, my arms started turning purple. Um, my legs, I couldn't walk 50 feet. Um, I literally was had to start propelling myself around the office furniture. I could see patients. Like, you know, this, these are all warning signals, right? But none of my supervision would take care of me. They all said, you know, it, you're just making it up. You're just too fat for medication. Literally telling me this, like, and I'm going to the ER with purple legs. They're ice cold. Like, that's like oh textbook. Like, you know, you need to refer or admit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, even like the interns, like, you know, like if it's above your pay grade, like you need to take that somewhere else that the person can take care of them. But um, this is over like six weeks. I was ignored. Um, and I'm like begging for help at this point. And, and all the good doctors had just deployed and all the ones that either faked injuries or they didn't want to take because they didn't feel they were as good or et cetera. They kept them there. Right. And let's like the PA. Some of the PAs are really good, but like the physicians themselves, like Ms. Harvard, like no, terrible. Like, no, <laughs> there's sometimes you don't want people that graduate from Harvard to treat you. <laughs> that, that applies to the military, but um, no. So basically when everything happened to me, um, I basically got to the point where I could barely, I couldn't do anything. Like I literally woke up one day and I felt like I was dipped in fire, truly. And I was screaming and all the security forces guys knew me because they were my patients. So like my ex would get so mad. like, why did they not even look at you? They just like wave you on. They won't make eye contact. I'm like, well, <laughs> I tell you, but <laughs> I can't. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like they were just like waving me on. They're like, they're like, just go, just take her, just take her. And like, they were sending me home. And I was like, I heard a voice that said, if you don't get treatment in the next two days, you will die. And I never heard that voice before. And it wasn't a voice I knew. It was a very deep male voice from nowhere. And I was just like, that's, that's weird. Like, you know, you don't hear stuff like that and not like get admitted to like a psych ward or something. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to follow um, what that person said. Cause clearly sums up cause I really messed up and no one's helping me. And so I was like, you know what? I walked into the ER and I said, I'm going to the British hospital now because you guys are idiots. And I like, and I said to people I knew, like, and they came back to me later. I apologize. I'm so sorry, Brandy. But later, my supervisor, what she was doing, she was looking at my medical records and she would actually go to the clinics and call them the day before her and my um, superintendent or my NCYC. And they would say, she's got a history of this, blah, blah, blah. She's a malinger. She makes it up. I'd never been a sick call reporters one day there, not one day. I couldn't because I had so many patients. Like my patients needed me. Like I, could be like steamrolled. And guess what? I'm going to get up the next morning because I got patients coming from out of country to see me and my dog. Like I have to take care of them. And so um, basically in England, it's not like the United States. We always think the NHS is so amazing, right? Like their care is amazing. You know, it's NHS, it's free. It's going to be so much better. No, guys, no, lies. So like think like nurse ratchet, 1970s medicine, right? That's what you get. There is no air, no air conditioning at all. Like the only place that has AC is the ER. Do you know why that is? Because you could be waiting in the ER for weeks to get admitted, literally. And literally, people won't be there for the long haul. Like they'll be like, and so I went in there that night. My spouse was supposed to deploy. He was supposed to go to Afghanistan that night. And I'm like, what do I do? Like I'm, you know, I can't fake it anymore. Like my legs are purple, and so is my right arm. I can't even put my bra on anymore. He has to help me because I can't even like clasp my hand like and remove it in any sort of way that would help me. 
Like, this is super concerning. Like, I've never had something like this happen. In England, I was admitted in that hospital um, in, and in surgery in less than 12 hours, which is unheard of. That's how bad it was. And they took one, and the Americans, they didn't want to uh, send me to England or to the British hospital in Addenbrooke's, which is in Cambridge. Um, I was like, this isn't your choice anymore. I'm about to walk and check myself in. So you can either escort me and take me in the ambulance now and sign off on it like you actually did your job, or I'm going to take myself. Either way, I'm going because this isn't happening anymore. And so just like as an afterthought, they were like, well, let's check our pulses at our feet just before we go. They couldn't find them. They're like, I was like, yeah, I don't have pulses on my feet anymore. That's concerning. You guys never caught this in six weeks. And my medical record, literally the day before I was admitted, says I was discharged for simple leg pain. And that's all it was said. And there was no test done, nothing followed up, nothing. And mind you, like I said, my legs and my arm were blue and purple, like the whole way, not like a little bit. And even the British docs, like the specialist I was like trying to see to see what was going on, they were like, she needs to get an angiogram like yesterday. And they literally ignored his orders. They said, she's just fat. We know better. And so when I was in, in when I was admitted, um, my spouse had to deploy that night. Imagine being married to someone and you had to leave her at her bedside at her worst hour and deploy. Could you do it? Would you do it? Would you have a marriage afterwards? But you know, like at the end of the day, like I I had to make that decision because his UDM, his unit deployment manager, showed up and was just basically like, Yeah, it sucks that you're about to have surgery and stuff, but um, so he's going to have to go. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? I was like, I don't even have, a, I don't even have a dog in this country. Like I have nobody. And they're like, sorry, eventually we'll turn him around. But if he stays right now, we will immediately court martial him. I was just like, wow. And I, this is like where I'm still kind of in denial where I think myself like, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It would just be like something small. I'll be out in a day. You know, it's not a big deal. I'm just being extra, right? Because you try to like um, downplay things, I guess, especially when it's serious in the military. And um, I was just like, all right, go, just go. You know, I didn't know I was going to be read my last rights later that day. Like, had I known that, I may have not been <laughs> magnanimous. But at the end of the day, you know, I was just like, just go. I don't want to cost you your career. That's not. I would never forgive myself if it costed you your career to be here for me. Like, even though you want to, like, I personally, like, don't feel right about it. And so, you know, he deployed and then um, I did my angiogram and I literally looked like a Christmas tree. So those of you that don't know what an angiogram is, um, a lot of people get it for their heart. I had mine in my groin. So what they do is they cut into your, your artery, right? Your femoral artery in this case. So they cut through it, like right in your bikini line, not cute by the way. And so then they injected like a dye and it makes you feel like you're peeing yourself. But then they, when they inject the dye in your arteries, they'll glow under their light when they take the photos. And so when they did it, um, if they found like any sort of clots, it would glow even brighter. It was like a Christmas tree because they had never seen so many and one person where the person was alive. And it was from like the waist down and everyone just freaked out. Like all the doctors freaked out, um, the residents, like, and, and they don't listen to patients like in the U.S., like where we have any sort of like agency. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but no, like they were just, oh my God, like what's going on here? Like, and they also freaking out and about 50 people ran in the room. And that's how I ended up being my first medical group. Wow. Yep. 
Um, and then it just went from there. Um, but the only reason I have legs today, and um, that's why I really identify with my amputee brothers and sisters, um, because I very nearly was one. And um, the only reason I'm not is because the Queen of England's private vascular surgeon just so happened to be at that hospital that day. And in England, they say any idiot can be a doctor. It takes a true skilled um, practitioner to be a mister to earn it back. So in England, they don't call them doctors if they're the heads of the departments. They're called misters. So his name was Mr. Vardy. And so he treated me. And um, like I said, every doctor I've seen in the U.S. um, And I always see the heads of the clinics because they always freak out when they see my records. They're like, you should be double amputee, no question. They're like, it was a skill that saved you. I was like, yep, I agree. And I only have two of six arteries in my legs now. Um, so what they did was they like stripped it because I had a, a lot of surgeries. It wasn't just one. <laughs> it took a while. But um, and they had clots in my right arm too, my heart, my left kidney, and um, and both legs, of course. But what they would have to do is balloon it out. So they would actually, you know, have to like strip it basically if they're not careful. And what they did was they stripped four of the six arteries because they had to do so many passes to get so many clots out. I think at the end, we I ended up having 20 millimeters in each leg, 10 in my right arm, and four centimeters by two centimeters in my left ventricle, which is again, another <laughs> medical journal because they've never actually seen someone with clots in their left ventricle. The right, yes, they've seen it. Left, no. <laughs> Usually you're left, you're dead. You have a stroke. So for them, they're like, you know, how is that? How are you not having strokes? Like, that's what we want to know. It's like, your guess is as good as mine. Wow. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy. So are you like on blood thinners and stuff like that for life or yeah. Yep. I make the joke often that I'm so evil. I have to poison myself daily to stay alive because it's rat poison. Literally. Did you guys know that? No, I did not know. Yes. Crazy. Yep. Yep. Blood wow. thinners are rat poison. That's why they can't feed, be fed to animals. That's crazy. And so like, do you have to also be pretty careful about getting cuts and, and things of that nature? Because you could bleed yeah. out, type stuff, or is that not? You know, because you like rough activities, and you have to like explain it to your boss the next day at work, and you're like, "I'm not getting beaten. I just like this." <laughs> but no, no, um, uh, you have to be really careful. Um, for me, I have a zombie leg. That's what I have to be more careful of. So because they can only do what so much, right? So imagine kicking a garden hose for six weeks on full blast, and then letting it go. What would happen? If you even made it that far, <laughs> like you explode, right? Like you're just being a mess. Well, basically that's what happened to my leg for six weeks. And so that all the pressure had to go somewhere. So as soon as they cleared that blockage, I had immediate compartment syndrome in my leg. Um, so those of you guys that don't know what compartment syndrome is. So imagine like the fascia being like the outer layer of the hot dog, right? But that's like your leg, right? That's like the protective muscle layer that's covered in nerves, right? So the fascia can only take but so much like pressure, right? So if it gets too much with compartment syndrome, it'll just come apart and it's just a mess. Uh, so they have to cut the, uh, through the fascia. And for me, they cut through my knee to my ankle on both sides, which is ridiculously painful. They say it's the most painful surgery you can have. And I believe them because I remember screaming was all the morphine they could give me. And they gave me like all of it. <laughs> it's not like the U.S., um, but it was, I was still in agony. Like I was still in agony and I had necrotizing fasciitis, which is where your muscle literally decays and turns into like black sludge basically. 
And they actually had to have my wound vaccine from Balad because they didn't have wound vaccine in England because nurse ratchet medicine, right? It's like, you know, like crazy, like future Rama-like medicine. They didn't have that stuff there. Well, they didn't explain it to them that when they changed the sponge that literally like attaches to like your most sensitive areas when the sponge is on. In my case, it was my actual shin bones because they cut to the bones, literally. And they would like actually like fillet it. So like, I know what it's like to be filleted alive because I was, it, it sucks. Um, and like, you can smell yourself rotting. Like that was the worst. My mom, they, they flew my mom over because they thought I was dying. And when they think that you're not coming back, you know, they'll say, there's two people you can have come out. My stepfather refused. Um, I've never heard of someone refusing one of those requests, but he did. He refused it. Um, my sister was coming back from a deployment. She was fine. She was like, I'm trying to get there. Go dad. But he was like in his ways. He's like, I want to make sure someone's here for you too. I'm like, she's dying. Like, make sure she's okay. But whatever. But um, at the end of the day, it it was hard. Um, my spouse didn't come back, or the, at the time, didn't come back. So about two weeks later, um, where a lot of it happened. But um, having, for example, like the sponge pulled off my actual bones. I, I'm pretty sure that the, those swear words are still floating in space somewhere. I'm pretty sure about that one. But, but yeah, yeah, it was definitely um, an experience. That's why, like, everyone's like, why is she so big on Rom Sion? Because I was listening to them a lot when I was in the hospital, when I was in the ICU, and whenever they would do all these extremely painful dressing changes or, you know, all kinds of, I couldn't use my legs at all. Like, I was in a wheelchair. They told me I was never walking. I was never walking again with absolute certainty. They were like, no way. You will lose both legs by the age 40. And mind you, I was 23 at the time. So imagine having an expiration date on your legs. How would you live your life? My gosh. So let me ask you, did now, was there any kind of punishment towards these people that kind of, I mean, and it now had you have gotten a little bit earlier when you were really going through the stuff and you would have gotten intervention a lot sooner, would you not gone through so much damage? I mean, yeah, it would have been very different. That's why the surgeons were so mad because they were told that, or I was told that had I been even seen two weeks sooner, um, I would have had just one minor surgery. I would have been out of there. I wouldn't have had uh, neck trizing fasciitis. I wouldn't have a zombie leg today. I would have six out of six arteries in my legs. I would be able to actually pick up my foot. I wouldn't um, have a lot of issues. Yes, I have 13 specialists now because of that delay, which is what oh made God. it the hardest. And on top of that, to make it worse, um, I wasn't injured downrange, but I have injuries similar to what some of our combat brothers and sisters that, um, that get injured downrange have, like down, down to the same braces, down to the same providers. Like, it's that similar. But because of the fact I was not combat injured, I was treated like I did this to myself. I was treated like I drank, drove, killed somebody, and continued to go about my day, literally. And this is verbatim for commanders. That's, and this that's isn't something I did to myself. It wasn't. And I wasn't. No, I like mean, the, the hell was that to themselves? I mean, my gosh. Sounds like a nightmare. I mean, it sounds like you lived through a nightmare for a while there. And I mean, so how um, long was it? Be, it was. You said about six months before you actually got some true help? No, no, no. Six weeks. Six, weeks. six weeks. Six weeks? About six weeks. Okay. Yeah, six I should be like, Honestly, with like, their delay, I should have died like in that time. Easily, like the fact I didn't is a testament to me wanting to be an E5. I refuse to be posthumously promoted. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're not I mean, you know, right what now. more proof do you need when you're 
got discolor in your legs and and things of that nature. I mean that uh that is that normal? Is that yeah, you well, being a malanger or you you know, I mean, come on, that stuff right there is not well, something you can well, fake. One doctor quit medicine, as I understand it, because she came to me. She was the only one that came to me because there was like six doctors that were really guilty. And she just didn't know. And she was seeing the wrong people. Like, I've seen it happen a lot of times, especially if they're busy. She she just had bad counsel. But she came to see me with one of our nurses. And I, I didn't get upset because I really respected that nurse. And her husband had just committed suicide, unfortunately, um, during his shift um, security forces. So I didn't want to create a more frustrating situation for her. And so I, I heard her out and she brought me this huge basket and she was just crying. All these tears were running on her face and she was just like, I'm so sorry. Would you ever forgive me? You know? And I was like, you know what? If you promise you will never do this to somebody else again, I will forgive you. I was like, because I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to meet another one of me. And to this day, I've not met two of me. Um, I've met people that are victims of medical malpractice, but not as bad as mine. Um, and, but I mean, they're all, usually they die when they get to my, my, extent. Um, when I was in clinicals, I actually saw someone that was a victim of malpractice. And I remember thinking that will never, ever happen while I'm working, not realizing it was going to happen to me, but, um, it was a big investigation. A lot of my records were altered. Um, the CYA thing to was total effect. Um, they would not even give me my medal that I had, um, actually earned. Um, and my commander was very um, vocal in trying to present it to me when I retired. And they told me that they would rather give it to someone who drank, drove, and killed a family of four than me. And that guy actually did get his mail posthumously. Um, but yeah, um, for me, I was just like, you know, I didn't do this to myself. You know, and I remember wishing like my legs were cut off because I would be treated equal to like our combat injured brothers and sisters and not being, because every day. So let me explain. Like, yes, the fight for my life was in England, but the testament and the damage that happened to me mentally happened afterwards, most of it. Um, but for me, I was every day for 18 months, I was spit on. I was told it was a disgrace. I should be ashamed of myself every day until I retired when I was airbacked. When I got to Lackland, so I was like, you know, I want to go to Lackland because they'll take my people will take care of me. That's what I remember thinking. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> As soon as I got off the air vac, um, they didn't think I was going to survive it because it was 18 hours and they were all debating if I'd live or I wouldn't. It was like a huge thing. So they're like, the first thing you have to do is you have to go get your labs done because we need to make sure you're not clotting and you know, you don't have to get immediately readmitted. And so when I went to go, um, I, they put me three racks up, um, and I'm two and 30 and they were like, jump down. I was like, I can't even walk. Like I, I can't, I need help. And they saw me being just me and they were like, just get up. And they're yelling at me. I was like, I can't, like, I really can't get up. Please help me. And they literally um, rolled their eyes. And when they went to help me, I was like, I have to go to the ER to get my laps done per my uh, different providers. They rolled their eyes. They literally made me check in the front way. And on the striker, might I add, I had to literally hand her my ID in the striker and they made me wait there. I was, I could have died of embarrassment. But because my, I had at that time 17% circulation, one seven. Um, so like, I mean, imagine like, you know, like those old school pens in the seventies where you like move them and then it changes the image for the girl with their clothes on or it's like not, or like, you know, the dress changes or something because of the ink of the pen, you can see it inside. Um, well, that was what happened to me. So like every time I, I couldn't even sleep in a bed for 10 years because if I swung my legs over the bed, um, like my legs would turn purple 
like a purple black and it would be an agony. It would be so much pain. I couldn't even like not scream and it would scare people, right? Like you randomly hear a scream in your house. But um, I had to have, I couldn't wear my boots for 10 years. Um, it just took a long time for me to be normal. So imagine how that went over having to wear Birkenstock sandals attached to a forest gun brace in my uniform. How do you think that went over? Here in Lackland, it didn't go well. Um, but yeah, um, so for me, like that's why I try to advocate and show people it's okay to be different. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to suffer in silence. There's all different types of treatment out there because of the fact that my personal experiences, I know what it's like to be truly failed. Oh, you're unmuted, I'm sorry. I can't hear you. I had my mic muted, I guess, there. Um, so let me ask you. Um, now, you don't necessarily have to answer this, but do you, do you have, was there some kind of bitterness towards the military, you know, towards the veteran community to some degree? I mean, I mean, these are the people that kind of let you down. And, you know, uh, did, do you have any kind of animosity there from all this, you know, that's happened? Or has, has is it something you're working on? It's funny that you asked me that question because um, someone very famous just asked me the same question, who is the Air Force Lifetime Achievement Award winner, uh, Rosie the Riveter, uh, make her. Uh, when I was um, with her for the week, she asked me that same question. She was, you know, do you have any animosity towards the Air Force because of what happened to you? And I can't say that I personally enjoy being around my branch very much. That's why the Marines always think I'm one of them. But um, to be honest, it took a long time for me to even be able to look at uniforms without being triggered because it's like, I'm like, oh, like they're going to do something. There. Something's going to happen to me. Like, you know, because it always happened. Like, and so right. for me, it's not necessarily an animosity. It's just. I mean, some, some PTSD from them. <laughs> sounds like you got a little bit of PTSD from the Air Force, you know, and a it, lot of it. <laughs> it, it just, yeah, I mean, yeah, I have from your branch. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's not just from my branch. It's like the whole situation and then what happened sure. afterwards. So it's like right. many, which is what's frustrating. It's not just like, you know, so, but so many. And I'm always finding that I have new ones that I didn't know I had, which is very frustrating. But um, I mean, for me, I the people that were guilty parties aren't in the branch anymore. Most of them are retired now. They know who they are. And I do hope that some of them apologize to me. Do I expect it? No. Um, it's not a realistic expectation because those people, like I've, I've every year I tell my story on my a live day usually. And one year, one of the people that was guilty, the NCYC watched it. And he would literally, um, because at first they wouldn't let people come see me at all. They would tell them they would write them up like uh, paperwork, like LORs letters of reprimand just in her njp and um they wouldn't come see me well my friends some of my friends they snuck out anyway well after a while and they realized like oh she might actually die we actually have to kind of make this look good um they were letting people sign out well he would sign out to cheat on his mistress with the nurse in our clinic and after a while my ex found out that that's what he was doing so he called him out on it he came one time to see me i think he signed out about 12. And that was the guy that was telling me this and that. And I know this and that dude was reading my record. I'm like, first of all, that's a HIPAA violation, dude. Be careful where you tread there because that's $10,000 fine as sheet. And I will absolutely enforce it against you just so you learn a lesson. 
I mean, the the layers of uh, betrayal that you had experience for, you know, for especially since you were in the medical field, Air Force, and in in here you are in your own, you know, profession where you've watched this time and time again, and like you said, you got through your head. I would never do this. Yeah. And, and we we found malpractice in other providers, like my provider, like he would catch like blood clots or fractured uh, backs, you know, like he would, he was that guy. That's why some of these doctors felt some type of way with me because they were trying to get him in trouble because he was from India. He wasn't in the good boys club, you know, and he was catching a lot of their mistakes and he was new on purpose. He would just, he was from India. I'll imitate him. He would say, it is like a whorehouse, ma'am. You get him in, you get him out. We don't care. And that's how he was. And he would just treat everybody the same. Like he didn't care if you were a general or a, a six sleeve, you were in front of him. You were there for a reason. You know, and honestly, like, that's why I, like, I would fight for him. And they called him disaster dilemma because, like, it was like a tornado. Like, not one tech could ever just keep up with him. He took two to three. And so I was the only one that could run by myself. And so a lot of those doctors didn't like their stuff getting called to the carpet, if you will. So when he deployed, that's when their true colors came out. And they wanted him to get in trouble. And I wouldn't um, go against him because I was like, no, like, he's not doing anything wrong. Like, He's seeing patients late because people keep walking in and he wants to help them. Do I agree? No, not always. But at the end of the day, he's my provider and I have to go with what he says. You know, I'm not going to do anything against him when all he's doing is helping people. Like, no. Um, But no one even would tell him that I was injured or I was in the hospital or the ICU until his um, rotator back and he cried. Like he called me sobbing and and I'm so sorry. It's my fault. It's my fault. I was like, no, doctor, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not yours. It's other people's fault. You shouldn't be apologizing for your brothers and sisters. And he literally ended up going to the ER and being the head of that clinic. And every day he rode those doctors like Seabiscuit. Like and they hated it. Like they hated working with him. Wow. Well, you know what? I'm glad that you were able to make it through all that. And I know it's shit sucks, but here you can now be a voice and be an advocate and 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 now you can help others that have gone through similar situations. I mean, I know it I'm sure every day is a struggle for you. I'm sure every day is healing for you. It, you know, and it probably will be for for a lifetime. Um, you know, those kind of things are I imagine, you know, even having any kind of scars to remember it constantly. Um, but you know, the great thing is is you're you're alive and you're able to talk about it and now you can be a voice for others and, and, and others that may be struggling and going through a, the, I'm sure there's a deep, dark area that you got to pull out yourself out of, um, especially because this is, wasn't something, I mean, and like I said, there's so many ways that I can feel your pain, you know, the, the betrayal, uh, you know, it's your, you watch this day in, day out in your profession. Um, I could just see where this can sit you off in a mental situation and, and, you know, but you're here smiling and laughing and, 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 and able to, you know, talk about this. Um, but like I said, I, I imagine there's an area that you had to pull yourself out of and you, and, and it's probably a work in progress type deal, but. Yeah. I was very angry um, for a long time because of what happened. Um, because I was just like, that's not fair. Like I didn't do anything to anybody. And I was basically like, the situation was like, um, um, imagine like a group of cooks watching their major day slowly starve to death and do nothing because that's exactly what happened. I work with these people. They saw me every day like that. Any of them could hear me at any time. Any of them could have admitted me. Any of them could have made a call. 
And there was about 15 providers and not one of them did. Sucks. Well, let's go ahead and switch it up because I'm sure, yes, I am the veteran podcast is a place where you're able to advocate and, and, and able to talk. And I'm sure I, I know me starting my own podcast. It, it has definitely helped me in a lot of ways, uh, therapeutic wise, just being able to talk. So let's talk more about your podcast now. Um, so um, before we created the podcast, I ran for Miss Veteran America. Now I'm not minorly scarred. You see like this looks okay. That's about it. I'm actually categorized as San Antonio's worst scarred veteran, literally, per prosthetics. And I defend that title. (laughs) But um, at the end of the day, you know, like, I mean, some of the scars are literally quite literally bone deep. Um, That's when they say beauty is only about skin deep. Yeah, but sometimes scars are bone deep, just so you know. (laughs) But um, I ran for Miss Veteran America. Um, uh, Me and Kristen Leon actually both did the same year. Um, She's another podcast host. And um, when I ran, I realized... you know, I empowered myself and other people that were handicapped um, or had limitations were telling me, you know, like so inspiring, you know, and I wanted to keep going and I wanted to continue the advocacy and to continue to help other people and empower and inspire other people if I could do that as well. So um, I had a bunch of people approach me. I had someone approach me for a record deal. I did not want to sing the song that they, they were wanting me to sing because I was like, I have to go to my daughter's PTA meetings. <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, I was offered a podcast. I was like, I don't even know what that is. Um, like, I, I'm, I don't know much about, it, you know, anything like that. So I had to look it up and I was just like, you know, I guess I could consider it. And then right around that time, someone actually tried pulling me out of my car. Um, it was a woman I had parked in the disabled vet- or the handicapped spot with my disabled veteran plates, um, which were mine. And um, she like yanking me out and my daughter's in the backseat, might I add. And so she's just like, you know, your husband isn't here with you and you don't look disabled. So you need to move because my parents are actually handicapped and they need to park here. And I was like, yes, I am the veteran. And I pulled up my pant leg and I rightfully probably scared her. And I was just like, they can walk the extra 15 feet. I don't care. Um but at the end of the day, it was just frustrating because of the fact that us as women were discounted so often with our service that we couldn't possibly have served, you know, and if I wear like shorts or a dress, like I've scared generals. There was a three-star Marine general I saw recently and a mixer and I was wearing a dress and I, I forget I have them. Right. But then I see them do like that weird, like buzzard thing where they clock you. And after like the third loop around, I was like, sir, um, do you have a question? Yeah. Can I help you with something, sir? And his wife's like, ask her. <laughs> So I was just like, this is what happened, this and this, you know, and I just try to, I don't know, just help where I can with what I have, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. So where did the Bedlam Betty come from? Well, originally it was Medic Maven when I was at a different station, but I took a flamethrower tour. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, I drive tanks. Um, those guys are awesome. It's like we, I love going out there. They're about an hour from here, and it's like a drive ta- uh, tank assault course that you can actually drive and fire actual history, which is pretty amazing. Um, and the bunker burner is from the Vietnam era. You used to take napalm, might I add. It's like 100 feet of flames. <laughs> I think I used uh, Grunt Styles real. They weren't amused. But it held, though. I was pretty impressed because I had, like, I had like, to have something to hold the shirt up, and they have like this grill they always have out there. I think they moved the grill after I did that. The girl is fine afterwards, I say. 
but um i actually put it on there and they're like you're not gonna do that i was like yes i am watching my call you <laughs> but um it, i was a um, medic maven and then i became bedlam betty here um i don't usually use a name but they said you have to pick a name i was like well that kind of fits me um so that's kind of how it became yes talk more about the podcast so let's what do you know what do you do with your show and uh, tell us how your show works basically Sure. So um, my show does a little bit of everything. Um, try to empower and inspire veterans wherever we can. They don't have to be, just be female. They can be male as well. Um, I do things specifically for females just because it's not out there so, at times, but that doesn't mean that we're excluding you. It's just because the information is not there just for females only and the information is needed, right? But um, we've done all kinds of stuff. I mean, we've done everything from a concealed carry course for women veterans to getting a suicide bomber survivor tattooed by Nate Master. And he donated that tattoo and he was a Marine brother, uh, Chris Blinston. Um, so he actually is a Marine brother and he donated the tattoo for her, which I thought was really awesome. I really respect that. That is outstanding. Wow. Oh, oh no. I gotta tell you one more story. Check this out. We gave him the best tip he'd ever had. So it says, um, so Maggie is known because when she lost her leg, they told her if she was Jewish, she could keep her leg. So she said she was Jewish and they let her take her leg home with her. And she stuck in her freezer for a whole year, her whole leg. My dad. Yeah. Yeah. You heard me. Okay. And so, okay. All right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just heard me. My dad, this is even a Marine story, but it's, it's worthy. But, um, yeah. so basically she went, so there's a course called reforge where you can learn uh, knife making or blacksmithing. Um, over three days. Well, she had to take a, a private course when she did. Um, she actually deboned her own leg in the turkey fryer. My forge master was not amused, and the turkey fryer is not also in use either. It's in tattoo shop on display, if I remember right. But yeah, so Come she on. deboned her own leg. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, she kept the leg, the, the, like, so it looked like a, a Halloween prop, right? So it looked like a, a skeleton of a foot, you know, from like the knee down. You're like, oh, like, it's a Halloween prop. She's got it in her kitchen. Like wrapped up because dogs really like human bone. No one told me any of this. Like, so like her dog would take off with her knife because she made her knife with the handle with her own leg. So like the dog would take off with the bone in its mouth and it's got like a knife hanging out the other side. I'm like, your dog's packing, get shocked, get shocked. Your service dog's like taking off. Like she's crunching. I'm like, oh god. And so oh I was like, my all right, gosh. well, I was supposed to have I like her and I have had a lot of the same surgeries and she looked at me when we went spear hog hunting and yes, she went with her one leg and they backpacked her and she went with it. She took like, the spear. I was like, I guess I'm both the bowie then. All right. Um, but she looked at me, she goes, is this all we were supposed to do is survive? And I said, hell no. I was like, you're going to do the best that you can with what you have left and you live your best life. You've earned that. And because she was actually blown up on veterans day and, um, for her, like, you know, she wouldn't go out, she wouldn't do that stuff. And I was like, you know, you see me, like my crazy self, like my one zombie leg, you know, doing crazy stuff. You have no good excuse. And so um, that's when we started everything with Chris and I wanted her out of the house more because she, uh, people stare. Uh, unfortunately, people don't realize how much their stares affect people like us. Um, I mean, I try not to pay so much attention. I, if you ask me nicely or politely and don't embarrass me, like I'll tell you all day what happened. But if you're going to be a jerk and try to embarrass me, I'm going to see how stupid you are. And I'm going to make up a story that's wild and to see how dumb or gullible you are because I want to be amused now. That's just only fair. <laughs> so um, just saying. So Maggie, um, I actually was like, hey, let's make a knife for Chris as a thank you. This is his tip. She goes, yeah, yeah, let's do that. I was like, hey, so can we use like some of your leg? Like, I'm not trying to be weird. Like, you got a lot of extra, like, you know, like just like a little bit. She goes, yeah. I was like, 
because like I like to do like crazy stuff that's like not appropriate. PTSD, you know, but <clears throat> makes it interesting. So we actually made this knife. So, so you didn't tell us how wildly valuable human bone is. So don't let anyone tell you you're worthless for this lie. Guess how much that knife was worth? Because we made it was about not this big, just like a Bowie thing. How much would you think the knife like that would be worth? And it was inlaid in purple hardwood burl, which is actually from Africa, um, South South Africa. And it's like three, an actual purple bark. Maybe three five hundred bucks. That's first of all, like an average knife of mine is for five hundred. That's that's average. <laughs> without the without the leg in it, okay. But um, so it was thirty to forty thousand dollars thirty. Jeez, okay, damn. Yep. We calculated wow. it out. Human bone is about 10 times more valuable than uh, mammoth um, ivory. Wow. That's crazy. Yep. Man, I, so, at least she uh, got, you know, made light of the situation. Yeah, uh, she's an amazing veteran. I don't um, think I've ever heard that. I don't think I've ever heard someone ever oh, do that. Let alone oh, that be a lady. You know what I mean? Like, ask me what she wanted to actually use as like a sheath for the actual knife. She wanted to use like a Coors Light box. I'm like, ma'am, I will fight you. Like, we did not make this whole <laughs> knife use a Coors Light box. I don't give, I don't, you know, air for getting into a marine. It's happening. I'm like, we're using Kydex. We're going all the way on this. Okay. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yes. But yeah, Chris Blinson's face when she handed it to him. And then she was so thoughtful because his girlfriend, like, um, <clears throat> she goes with him to a lot of events. So she actually made his girlfriend some earrings, but not of her leg or anything that she probably would have, but no, like she just had like a little bit of extra of like the bark uh, that was purple and she shined it up and made her some the mash. I thought it was really cute of her, but like his face, when he like saw it, just his, just fell. He's just like, I was like, yeah, dude. And, and you know, and Maggie's like, if you don't want it, just give it back to me, please. Cause part of me's in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, no. Don't you worry. Right. Uh, yeah, but it's actually it's on his page. If you go on Chris Blinson's page, um, you'll see it. Um, it's actually on there, like with me, her, and if you like scroll over, you'll see the actual knife. I'll have to check that out. That is awesome. <laughs> now you got a marine-like story. <laughs> oh my God, airman. Sounds like a badass, dude. You guys are both some badasses. My gosh. Have so many pictures and might i add it smelled like jeffrey Dahmer's kfc <laughs> we had to clean the marrow and like stabilize i was like Ugh. i was like maggie why like oh man i got such a weak gut for some of that stuff oh man it smells oh it's funny because all the fortune masters were like all these hard huge dudes right because like they do a lot of fortune fire appearances and stuff so like they're big dudes like there's not a lot of chicks in our their forge at all and like literally, they're all puking. They're all thrown up. They were like, "I can't, I can't take it anymore." That's too crazy. Yeah. My gosh. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about before uh, we head off, or any like uh, you know words of inspiration, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, be your own best advocate. Um, don't always accept what people tell you is fact, right? Um, and it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to suffer in silence and find your new normal. Because I can tell you right now, I would never have believed myself 10 years ago, 15, 14 years ago, when everything happened, that I would be meeting Ink Masters, that I would be the hot mom of the year from Miss Veteran America, believe it or not, mangled as I am, that I would have a podcast, that I would have daughter, like that all these things that I've been able to accomplish, like I would never, ever have imagined that when I was sitting in my wheelchair angry. 
you know, but there's so many alternative medical treatments out there. You know, if you have questions, ask. If you're not sure on something, ask. But be your own best advocate and know what your benefits are and what is eligible to you as well. Um, that would be what I would say. Well, I appreciate that. Those are some great words of uh, advice. And uh, I really appreciate you, Brandy, coming on, taking the time to tell your story, talk about things. I know it's not always easy to talk about some of these things, um, but it's necessary. I feel like you never know who could be listening, watching, and uh, can can learn from this or, you know, take something away from it or even pass it on to someone else that may be going through something, you know? Absolutely. Um, And the thing is a lot of people think, like, you know, when something bad happens, like, my life is over. Like, there's nothing else out there. Trust me, there's so much more out there. Yep. Exactly. And a lot of us can attest to that. So, and uh, you're one of them. And uh, I I love it. I I love your smile. I really, like I said, appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your service to our country. And uh, I appreciate everything you're still doing for our community. And uh, once again, thank you, Brandy. And I hope you have an amazing day. You as well, brother. All right. We'll see you. Thank you so much. All right, friends and friends. That wraps up another great episode. Let me tell you what. She is an amazing person. Go check her out. Um, Go check her podcast out. Yes, I am the veteran, Brandy Pet. She is an amazing person. And uh, I hope all you guys out there have an amazing day. Make sure the day's not kicking your ass and make sure you're kicking its ass. Until next time. Urgh.